If I could encourage you to go to confession, that would be the, the greatest gift that I could give to you. And I think that the Lord desires for all of us on divine mercy. So feel free at any point to please go back to the confessional. Jesus once said to Faustina, run through the world and tell them of my infinite mercy. If sinners recite this chaplet only once in their lives, they will be, they will be saved. So that's the chaplet they're going to read right after um, the talk that I give today. Let's begin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. While he was still a long way off, the Father caught sight of his Son and was filled with compassion. He ran to him, embraced him, and kissed him. Heavenly Father, as we come before you on this wonderful feast of a divine mercy, we know and believe that you take the first step, that you run to us in our sinfulness. And so I ask anyone, especially anyone that's been away from you or away from the church, they may be here today that this may be a wonderful opportunity of you running to them, embracing them, kissing them, and letting them know that they are your beloved sons and daughters. And Father, I ask your, your Son to send his Holy Spirit upon me as well, that as I speak, you may truly use me as an instrument to be your vessel, to know the great love that you have for us and divine mercy. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So St. Faustina also said that Jesus told her, tell the priests that hardened sinners will crumble beneath their words when they speak of my mercy. And so I have great confidence right now because uh, I have nothing to do. It's only the Lord to speak through me right now. And, and that promise that, that, she, that the Lord gave to her, that any time a, a priest speaks about divine mercy, there will be tremendous graces that flow through that. He said to her, Converse, conversation of the merciful God, in a conversation with the merciful God, Jesus said to Faustina, O soul, steeped in darkness, do not despair. All is not yet lost. So I want you to think of that. Can you, you can't hear me. So, O soul, steeped in darkness, do not despair. All is not yet lost. Come and confide in your God who is love and mercy. But the soul, deaf even to this appeal, wraps itself in darkness, and Jesus calls out again, my child, listen to the voice of the merciful Father. So I want to talk a little bit about despair. Despair really is losing hope. You know, it's thinking that we are on beyond being saved by God. And that's one of the messages that Jesus revealed to Faustina, that he wanted us all to know to never despair and to ultimately hope and trust in the love of God, and that the love of God will see us through. The key to divine mercy is trust. No matter how bad we are off, if we trust in the Lord Jesus, if we trust that God is a merciful God, he will spare us not only in this life, but in the life to come as well. He said, my daughter, tell the whole world about my inconceivable mercy. I desire that the feast of divine mercy, which is today, be a refuge and a shelter for all souls and especially for poor sinners. On that day, the very depths of my tender mercy are open and I pour out a whole ocean of graces upon those souls who come to me, especially the very poor sinners. On that day, the very depths of my tender mercy are open. So this is today, right now at this moment. The very depths, the ocean of God's mercy is being opened for us. And he says, the soul that will go to confession and receive Holy Communion shall obtain complete forgiveness and punishment of any sin. 
That's, a, that's an amazing gift. So not only are we forgiven from the sin, but any effect of sin or, or punishment from sin is also washed from us clean today. So again, I just invite you to go to, to confession, receive the Eucharist today. If you have already received the Eucharist or confession in the last couple days or in the, in the next couple days, that's fine too. It's actually a week, week before or a week after. But he says, everything that exists has come forth from the very depths of my mercy. Every soul is in relation to me will contemplate my love and mercy most tenderly. The feast of mercy emerged from the very depths of my tenderness. And it is my desire that it be solemnly celebrated the first Sunday after Easter. Mankind will not have peace until it turns to the fount of mercy. We know we need peace in the world today, right? And so I'm so glad that you're here today on this Divine Mercy Sunday. St. Faustina, Jesus revealed to her that, that he wanted to have a Divine Mercy Sunday. And so there was a time that she took this message to the Holy Father, and she said, um, Holy Father, can you institute a, a day of Divine Mercy the first Sunday after Easter? And the Holy Father said to her, we already have one. you know. And, and so Jesus, Faustina went to Jesus and said, the Pope said we already have one. And Jesus said, well, who knows about it? Nobody knew about it. And even today, we're still trying to help people know about this wonderful mercy that God is inviting us into. So why am I here to, today to speak on mercy? Why, why me, Father Michael Dank? Um, well, for one, I'm a priest, you know, so that great promise was given that if a priest speaks on divine mercy, even the hardest soul of sinners. So if there's any hardness in your heart right now, we all from time to time have hardness in our hearts. I really believe that that grace is going to come through to the depths of your heart and soften. So just keep that in mind. If there's any hardness, if there's any unforgiveness, if there's any hurt that you have, if there's any toughness in your heart, if there's any unwillingness to bend to God's will, all of that can be dissolved right now today. So sometimes it is funny for me to think about me preaching on divine mercy, and this is why. When I went into the seminary, somebody gave me St. Faustina's diary, the diary. The, the, the journal that she had. And I'm sure many of you have read it, but if you haven't read it, it's about this thick, right? It's a really thick diary. And I remember getting that as a gift from somebody, and I was just going back into the seminary. And when you're in the seminary, they give you reading all throughout the day. And then on top of that, the, like one of my teachers joked, he said, well, this assignment will be your 3 a.m. reading. You can read that at 3 a.m. Like the, the idea was we could never keep up with all the reading that we had to do. And now someone gave me this diary of St. Faustina, so what did I do with it? Put it on the bookshelf, never looked at it again. Over the course of the years, until I was ordained, from the time I went into the seminary to the time I was ordained, I received six copies of her diary from people. You know what I did with those six diaries? Put them on my bookshelf, never looked at it. Finally, once when I was ordained, somebody gave me a beautiful diary that she inscribed and even drew a beautiful picture on that. Never looked at it. And then we celebrated the Year for Mercy. Do you remember the year that we celebrated that? We had a whole year dedicated to mercy. Um, every year the church declares that it be a year with a different theme. And so it was the year for mercy. It was under Pope Francis, and he was declaring the whole year be the year for mercy. And I thought, wow, I wonder, I think I should uh, read one of these Divine Mercy books this year. And so that was it. That was the year that I read Divine Mercy, and it really opened me up in a powerful and wonderful way to St. Faustina and to Divine Mercy. As a child growing up, I actually loved going to confession. I remember from the littlest time when I was a little boy, I would uh, go to confession, and when I got old enough to ride my bike, I would ride my bicycle to the church on a Saturday afternoon. 
So Holy Family had confessions. I'm from Holy Family in Parma, I'm sorry. Holy Family in Parma, the other Holy Family. And uh, they had confessions twice on Saturday. And I remember as a child, I would ride my bike up to confession and go to confession. And uh, some of my happiest memories were riding my bike home after confession, being totally free from sin. You know, and I felt like, man, if I get hit by a car right now, I get to go straight to heaven. And that's the reality of, of the, the state of our soul today, especially in Divine Mercy Sunday. God is completely cleansing us, not only of our sin, but of any punishment of sin. It's such a wonderful blessing and a wonderful grace. When I was little, I used to go to confession face-to-face. I would go uh, right there behind the screen. My mother's here in the front pew. And one of the funniest stories I had uh, when I was a little boy, I had to go to confession because... Um, I, well, I loved animals as a child, and my mother can't stand them. She doesn't want animals in the house, anywhere near her. So one day, my cat had gotten dirty outside or something, so I decided I was going to give my cat a bath, a bath in the bathtub upstairs. And so I, I was giving the cat a bath, and my mother walks in, and she goes, Michael, what are you doing? Get that cat out of here. And she goes, you, you're going to go to confession right now. So I go to confession, and it was Father Costello, um, our uh, pastor at the time, and I went to him, and I said, uh, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. It's been a couple weeks since I went to confession, and I said, I gave my cat a bath. <laughs> and that's exactly what Father Costello did. He started laughing. He goes, what kind of sin is that? I don't, and I said, I don't know. Ask my mother. <laughs> <laughs> the sin was disobedience, by the way. I wasn't listening to her. But I loved going to confession, and as I would go over the years, I would just get to know these priests, and they were wonderful wisdom figures. One of my favorite priests was this priest, Father McManaman. Father McManaman is a Franciscan priest, and he's, you know, he's, so he's got the brown robe, the long brown robe, and the hood on the back. And Franciscans are, are known for being so gentle and loving and warm. Father Costello was just a jovial, or Father um, McManaman was just a jovial, warm, wonderful personality. And, and a gentle figure, too. So I would love going to him to confession. He almost looked like Santa Claus. He just had that, like, warmth about him. But even better than that, he was hard of hearing. So I would go to him on purpose because it would be hard for him to hear, and he would give me a penance. As I got older and went to high school and college, I began to go behind the screen because I was a little bit more embarrassed of my sins in high school and college. So I would go behind the screen. But I remember even still wanting the priest to, to know me and wanting to know the priest. So I would often do my penance in the last pew of the church. And uh, so I would do my penance there. And sure enough, I'm sure the priest came out and said, oh, there's that Mike Denk again. And then I, then I entered the seminary. And the seminary was a wonderful time of conversion for me. There were different priests that, throughout the diocese that would come to the seminary and they would hear confessions. And I would go to every priest I could just trying to learn from them and to learn their wisdom. And over the years, they gave me great directions. Some of the things that they said were simple and profound and, and really impacted me still today. One of the priests was a smoker, so I would see him in his office. Some of you might know him. I think he might have been here, Father Michael B. Smith. But he's kind of a chain smoker, so he would just smoke cigarettes back to back in his office. So I remember one time I was going to confession and he'd be smoking his cigarettes and um, I'd do my confession and, and he would look at me and take a deep drag off of his cigarette, just go, and just pause like that for a moment. And he would go, Michael, be gentle with yourself. Rome wasn't built in a day. He would say that over and over every time I went to confession. And so I say that to you too. Be gentle with yourself. Rome wasn't built in a day. 
You know, so if you feel like you've been confessing the same sin over and over again, or you're really upset by a sin that you've committed, be gentle with yourself. But more importantly, trust in divine mercy. Trust that God is merciful and he wants to forgive us of our sins. So that extraordinary jubilee of mercy began, and it was Pope John Paul II, who, and it was Francis then at 2015, right before the first vespers of the Vigil of Divine Mercy, the Holy Father stood between, before the holy doors of St. Peter's, and he said, this will be the year of extraordinary mercy. Jesus Christ is the face of the Father's mercy. And that's actually what I want to talk to you today about the Father's mercy. So you heard at the beginning, I have this ministry called the Prodigal Father. And what I'd love to share for you is, is the whole image of God the Father, his love being prodigal. Vinnie Flynn has a book on Divine Mercy Sunday, on Divine Mercy, and if, you, if you've read it, one of the chapters that he has is actually called, one of the secrets of Divine Mercy is, prodigal does not mean bad. And I'll tell you why. Prodigal does not mean bad. In the dictionary, the word, if you look up prodigal, it means to lavish. It means to expend your resources um, extravagantly, almost recklessly. And now we certainly associate that with the son, right? The prodigal son, as we call him. The prodigal son goes off, and first of all, he, he tells the father, give me, my, give me my inheritance now. You're dead to me. He takes it off. He runs. He spends it all. He squanders it. He finds himself in dire need. And so what does he do? He goes back to the father, and he thinks well, I'm just going to be like a servant for my father. Maybe he'll let me be a slave. And he goes back to the father with that mentality. And while he's still a long way off, the father, who represents God the Father, sees him a long way off. And he runs to his son. He just takes off running. And when he gets to him, he embraces him and he kisses him. And the, the translation from, from the original Greek actually means to like smother with kisses, to kiss repeatedly. So if you've ever seen like a, a mother with their child that just can't stop kissing their child, that's like God the Father. That's his love for us that he just wants to smother us with his love. And so he brings the child in and he says to him, my child, now we must celebrate and rejoice because you are dead and have come to life again. And so he says, kill the, kill the fattened calf, slaughter it, get a ring for my son, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and we must celebrate and rejoice. I want you to think about the word prodigal again. The father has already given the son his inheritance. In baptism, you were given your inheritance to the kingdom of God. When you were baptized, you inherited the kingdom of God. And sometimes we sinners squander that. We sin. Every time we sin, we're giving away our inheritance, especially when we have a mortal sin in our souls. But here's the amazing thing. Even though you once had an inheritance and you squandered it, the Father desires to run to you, embrace you, and kiss you. And not only that, but he opens up the kingdom of heaven again, slaughters the finest calf, puts a ring on your singer, sandals on your feet, and, and throws a celebration. Notice it's the, pro it's the father who's prodigal. He's again lavishing everything that he has on his son. Finest robe, ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. He cannot stop giving. That's how God the Father is with all of us today, especially on Divine Mercy Sunday. 
He wants to shower you with his love. You are his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter. He wants to give you the kingdom of God today. Now, some of you sitting here might hate this parable. Some of you might think, well, I relate to the older son. I can't stand this parable. Well, I got news for you. Jesus wrote this parable for you. This was the parable that he wrote to the Pharisees that were doing everything right. And they were, they were upset about the sinful women. They were upset about the sinful people. They were doing it all right. And so Jesus tells them this parable. So if this parable upsets you because you're the older son, it should upset you. The Gospels are always called to either comfort us in our weakness or disturb us in our over-secureness. Over so it, it'll do one of two things to us. It'll either bring us great comfort if we're like the younger son, or it's going to disturb us if we're like the older brother. So if you find yourself upset with this and you want to dismiss me because I'm talking about the prodigal son, you can't stand it, you're the older brother, this was meant for you. Because the older brother has hardened his heart. The older brother is outside in the field and he's working and the celebration is going on. And when he hears about the celebration, he says to the father, how could you do this? He says, how could you do this for that son of yours? He's not his brother. That son of yours who squandered his inheritance on a life of dissipation, slept with prostitutes, did, did the worst of things. How could you do this? And I just want you to think of Jesus. Could you ever hear those words coming out of Jesus? No, right? And so if we are like the older brother and we're saying those words, that is not the word of Jesus. That's not the, the disposition of Jesus. The disposition of Jesus is always yearning and excited to join the celebration. But here's what I love about God the Father. He's prodigal, right? So he even gives to the older son. He says to him, my son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. The older son had it all. All every, like I think the older son thought that maybe God could run out of money or run out of grace, right? Like if he's going to give the son his inheritance, he better not give him more of mine. God the Father is unlimited in what he can give. But the best part is he says to the older brother, son, you've been here with me always. What a gift, right? Everything I have is yours. But even, even if the son is resentful, he's upset, he dismisses the father, the father still goes to him and he pleads with him. He begs him to come back to the celebration. So I just want you to think about that today as we enter this feast of divine mercy. Which son do we relate to? You know, is it the younger son where there's some sin in our lives that we're just terribly ashamed of? Or is it the older brother where we're resentful and we, we find ourselves hardened? The Lord wants to invite all of us into his mercy today. The hardened son and also the repentant son. So John Paul II said in his last book, Memory and Identity, he wrote, The limit imposed upon evil of which man, man is both perpetrator and victim is ultimately divine mercy. So when you ask yourself, why is there so much evil in the world? How could this happen? You know, we, we, we just saw the tragedies in Sri Lanka, and we think, how could there be evil like this in the world if God is so good? Well, the answer to that is divine mercy. That as much evil as there is, his divine mercy is infinitely stronger. 
And so Pope Francis goes on to say, here then is the reason of the Jubilee, because this is the time for mercy. Here then is the reason. It's the favorable time to heal wounds. What I love about Pope Francis, he's always trying to reconcile. He's trying to reconcile those who are divided in the church. He's trying to reconcile those that are divided into the world. He's trying to reconcile our divided country. He's always trying to reconcile. And he says, do not be weary of meeting all those who are waiting to see and to touch with their hands the signs and the closeness of God, a time to offer one everyone a way of forgiveness and reconciliation. I want you to think about the gospel today. To offer people the ability to see and to touch the hands and the wounds of Jesus. As you receive the Eucharist, you become so one with Jesus that as you go out into the world today, you become his body. And so through you, people will see and touch and experience his great love and mercy. He says, oh, so, so going back to me, so I finally read the Divine Mercy um, journal that year of, of uh, the Feast of Mercy, the year of mercy. And when I started reading it, I, I couldn't put it down. Like for me, it was absolutely powerful. And what I realized over and over and over again, it was reinforcing this image of God that I have, that the Father is loving. Jesus is trustworthy. Over and over, no matter what is going on in my life, trust in him. So no matter what difficulties I may be going through, trust in him. No matter what sin there may be in my, my life that I've not been able to overcome, trust in him. If there's been any hardness in my heart that I've been unable to soften, trust in him. It was this entire diary filled with the repetition of trust over and over and over again, trusting in the Lord. We know it's divine mercy, right? And so mercy is the number one word that is all throughout the diary. Do you know how many times the word mercy is mentioned in the diary? 1,481 times mercy. So if, you're, if you don't get it, you're going to get it by the end of the diary, that God is a God of mercy. I'm just going to quote a couple passages on that. So she says, Today Jesus told her, I am sending you with my mercy to the people of the whole world, I do not want to punish aching mankind. God's desire is not to not want to punish aching mankind. And I'll talk a little bit about the idea of hell and the, the real existence of hell that she saw. She saw purgatory and she saw hell and she saw people in hell. And the amazing thing was that um, when, she, when she saw or heard the people in hell and she heard uh, their story or why they were there, Everyone in hell didn't believe that hell existed. So at no point do I want us to think that hell does not exist. But I want us to know without a doubt that God doesn't want us to be there and that we can trust. If we trust in Jesus, he's going to bring us to heaven. So Jesus says to her, My mercy to the people of the whole world, I do not want to punish aching mankind, but I desire to heal it. Listen to this beautiful phrase, and to press it, to my chest, like a merciful mother. You are the secretary of my mercy. I have chosen you, and I am sending you out to the world to make known to souls the great mercy that I have for them and to exhort them to trust in the bottomless depth of my mercy. 
Exhort means to like, um, not only command, but to inspire people. So this message of divine mercy, hopefully you're not like me when you get the journal and you're like, all right, divine mercy, put it on the shelf. This message should be so inspiring for us and so encouraging for us because it helps us really to know who God is and how he wants to deal with our souls. He's, he says to Faustina, no soul will be justified until it turns to me with confidence in my mercy. And this is why the first Sunday after Easter is to be the Feast of Mercy. And on that day, the priests are to tell everyone about my great and unfathomable mercy. So that's the, the most important thing I want to tell you today, mercy. If I could say it 11,881 times right now, I would do that for you. The last paragraph I want to talk about mercy. Then Jesus says to her, my daughter, this is funny. Think about how many times we heard the word, right? My daughter, do you think you have written enough about my mercy? 1,141 times. What you have written is but a drop compared to the ocean of my mercy. So Jesus knows how much she's written about his mercy. And, and he says to her, it's a drop in the ocean. And then he says, I am love and mercy itself. So the very identity of God is love and mercy. I love this line. There is no misery that could be a match for my mercy. Neither will misery exhaust it because as it is being granted, it increases. So even as he's granting us his mercy, it continues to increase. The soul that trusts in my mercy is most fortunate because I myself will take care of it. So if we trust in his mercy, he will take care of it. The year for mercy was called miserere mercury, and it basically meant misery and mercy. It was putting the two words together, that where there is misery, his mercy will be. And so if we've experienced any misery in our lives, his mercy is right there. And they took the phrase actually from the parable of the, 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 the story of the woman that was caught in adultery and thrown right down on the ground, right in front of Jesus. Remember how he stood, he, he knelt down and wrote in the sand and said, uh, he who is without sin cast the first stone and one by one the stones are being dropped and they walk away. And before you know it, it's just Jesus and the woman. Misery and mercy together. And what I love is he doesn't leave her side. He stands right next to her. You know, like if they're going to throw stones at her, he's, they're going to get hit. He's going to get hit by them too. He stands with us in our misery. He doesn't want us to stay there or remain there, but he stands with us. And ultimately he commands the woman, get up. Your sins are forgiven. Go and sin no more. And he used to think about that line myself as I would pray with that passage. I would think, man, she's got like, she better not sin again, right? She was given like this, command, go and sin no more. But the command came from Jesus. And if he told her, go and sin no more, he's also giving her the grace to go and sin no more. And so she would no longer have to live in that life. She wasn't condemned to the life that, that she was living. Jesus says, I am mercy and love. So we heard how many times mercy was mentioned. Now I want to talk about love. Love is mentioned 1,068 times in the diary. And Jesus says, in this retreat, I am giving you not only peace, but also such a disposition of soul that even if you wanted to experience uneasiness, you could not do so. I love this because one of the, the main things that I love doing is teaching people how to pray. Have you ever gotten 
sat down to pray and been like really excited about praying and then you notice the whole time you're agitated and you're uncomfortable and you can't stop it and for some reason you're just distracted? Well, I love it because Jesus says, during this retreat, I will give you not only peace but also such a disposition of soul that even if you wanted to experience uneasiness, you could not do so. And most of us don't want to experience uneasiness, right? So he's also freeing us from the misery of uneasiness. And uneasiness is really just not being able to be content in God's presence, to be at peace with him. Another time on love, he says to her, act like a beggar who does not back away when he gets more alms than he asks for, but offers thanks the more fervently. You too should not back away and say that you are not worthy of receiving greater graces when I give them to you. I know you are unworthy. That's Jesus saying that to Faustina, right? If you know her life, man, I don't know. If she was unworthy, what am I? You too should not back away, he says, but rejoice all the more and take as many treasures from my heart as you can carry. We go back to the word prodigal again. God the Father just wants to give his grace to us. And, and, and he says, and if you've had enough, go back for more. Go get more. Just keep taking from the treasure of my grace. That's what you have the opportunity for today. So not only to pray for this grace yourself of mercy, but if there's anybody that you know away from the faith or away from the church, I really want you to pray for them and offer this up for them as well, because you can take from the treasury of grace right from the Father's heart and bestow it upon everyone. Then he says to her, and I will tell you one more thing. Take these graces not only for yourself, but also for others. That is, encourage the souls with whom you come into contact with to trust in my infinite mercy. So everybody that you come into contact with today, if they're going through a difficult time, if they're struggling, encourage them and just say, and, 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 and invite them to do it. Say, trust in his mercy. And if they go, okay, I know, I know, stop them and say, no, can we do that right now? And just say, Jesus, I trust in you. Have the person say it. Jesus, I trust in you. Maybe it's somebody you know that you just need to call after, after today is over. Call them on the phone, get them on the phone and say, you can blame it on the priest. Say, this priest told me I got to call somebody. You're my, you're my somebody. Call them and say, Put your trust in Jesus and have them repeat after you, Jesus, I trust in you. And those graces that come right from the Father's hearts are given to those people. And he says, I will do everything for them. They don't have to do anything. If they say, Jesus, I trust in you and have some desire for that, God the Father will take them from there. And again, he says, my daughter, love has brought me here and love keeps me here. So love not only brings Jesus here, but he keeps him here. Most especially, we experience this love in the Eucharist. So not only is he brought here in the Eucharist, but he stays here. Um, the Blessed Sacrament right there. He stays there for us. So anytime you need to feel his love or be in his presence, come and pray before the Blessed Sacrament. I believe there's an adoration chapel here as well. So he says, my love stays here. My daughter, if you knew what great merit and reward is earned by one act of pure love for me, you would die of joy. I am saying this, that you may constantly unite yourself with me through love, for this is the goal of the life 
and your soul. So not only to experience God's love and presence, but to become that love and presence for other people. And then he says, but my child, we should talk in more detail about the things that lie in your heart. Let us talk confidently and frankly as two hearts that love one another do. One of the things I'll invite you to at the end, I have a, a, a book called Pray 40 Days you heard in the beginning. And what Pray 40 Days really does help people to do is to have this conversation with Jesus. Now, some people say to me, I talk to God all the time. And I, I say, that's wonderful. And I say, how often do you hear him? And they'll look at me like, what? And I said, do you hear him speak to you? And, and oftentimes people will say, no, I struggle with that. I, I don't hear his voice. I wrote that intentionally for that so that you could talk to the Lord and hear the voice of God. And then finally, trust. That's mentioned 350 times. And Jesus says, the graces of my mercy are drawn by the means of one vessel only. And that vessel is trust. The more a soul trusts, the more it will receive. And so the only way that we're going to get anywhere in this life is by trusting in his divine mercy. You, your great trust in me forces me to continuously grant you graces. She used to have debates with Jesus, and Jesus would say, no, I can't do that for you. I, I don't, that's, you're asking too much, Faustina. And she would come back and she would say, well, I, I still need you to do it. And he would give in to her. He would allow her to do it because of her great trust for him. So again, if there's somebody that you know that you're praying for, or if you're praying for a healing yourself, trust him, beg him, ask him for the grace. So he says, you have great and incomprehensible rights over my heart. He tells Faustina, you have rights over my heart. Can you imagine that? You would not have been able to bear the magnitude of love which I have for you if it had not been revealed to you fully on earth. I have often given you a glimpse of it, but know that this is only an exceptional grace for me. My love and mercy knows no bounds. So he wants everyone to know this love and mercy. Maybe you're here today because you know all about Divine Mercy Sunday, or maybe somebody else dragged you to this um, talk today into the litany of Divine Mercy. I'm so glad that you're here because you are now being open to the wellsprings of this treasure of heaven. So it was around that same time when I read the Divine Mercy journal that I began to, um, I, every year I go and I get to make an eight-day eight retreat. Um, it's an amazing experience. So I realized that as a priest, I'm really privileged. Not everybody gets to take off eight days from work and go make a retreat. As a priest, I get to do this every year. I've made the 30-day the retreat, the spiritual exercises. Um, I have amazing spiritual directors, my own one who's here in this diocese, but also my spiritual director um, on my annual retreat is Monsignor Essif. Monsignor Essif um, was the spiritual director for Mother Teresa and her sisters. His spiritual director was Padre Pio. And so right now, you get to all be like grandchildren of Padre Pio through me. I was making a retreat one time, and it was at the end of the retreat that the spiritual director said to me, find a way to make this practical for people. And what he meant was, find a way to take what you've experienced here and make it practical for people. And I realized, again, my, my great privilege as a priest to have these experiences of God's unconditional love was just, I wanted to be able to share that with other people. I wanted to be able to find a way to have other people experience 
these amazing things that I experienced, that St. Faustina experienced, that Monsignor Esov experienced, that Padre Pio experiences, we're all called to experience these. You're all called to be a mystic. So just as Faustina experienced this very real presence of Christ, you're called to experience that too. One of the great theologians, Karl Rahner, said that in this day and age, we will either become mystics, one who has experienced God for real, or we will despair. And there's a lot of despair, isn't there? And so we're called to become mystics. So it was around that time of me going on these retreats and, and uh, experiencing the, the wonderful love of God the Father, but it was also me going from being an, a seminarian who went to confession all the time to then becoming a priest and being, becoming ordained. And I realized that when I was ordained a priest, I would become the Father's love for other people. Like Father Rosing back in confessional right now, when people come to us as priests, we become sacraments of the Father's love. You experience God the Father's love through the person of the priest, through Jesus, and, and through the Holy Spirit. And so I realized, and I've gotten to hear many confessions as a priest, but the one thing you do at every confession is you forgive. Every confession. So no matter how many times people come to you, no matter where people come from, no matter how long it's been since they've been to confession, no matter how horrible it seems the sin is, I absolve you from your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That wasn't it for you. I'm sorry, by the way. You still got to go. But I discovered during that time that God the Father's love is prodigal. God the Father just keeps giving and giving and giving and giving. And so for all of you, know that he wants to keep giving to you. And maybe you're frustrated with yourself or maybe you feel like you're not worthy to receive his love or you haven't done enough or been contrite enough. Just trust. He wants to give his love to you. John Paul II wrote, It is God who is rich in mercy, whom Jesus Christ has revealed to us as Father. So there's something very profound that Jesus has revealed to us, God the Father. One of my uh, priest friends works at, at a guest house. It's a place for um, priests and religious that are recovering from addiction or alcoholism or anything like that. And, and he says that he notices something very common when people come to him from, from wherever their brokenness is. He says the first thing he notes is that they've stopped praying, that they stopped praying along the way. The second thing that he notes is they're not able to look at God as Father. They're not able to imagine God as Father. That that, that damage of fatherhood has either been broken so, so much by their own fatherhood or by their father's father, it's been so damaged that they're not even, even able to look at God as Father. And Jesus says he wants to reveal to us God as Father. Now, this is difficult. I know, especially for my father's generation, if you're of that generation, you weren't always taught about this loving, wonderful daddy, right? Some of you were taught about this demanding justice God, who is, by the way, true. Or even the, the, you know, the, the God of anger. Jesus will sometimes say to Faustina, I need you to, to ask for this divine mercy to appease the anger of my father. That's actually in the diary. And again, I just go back to hell is real. Anger of God over our sins is real. He loves us so much that it angers, it tortures him for us to be separated from him. And still, he wants to be known 
also as a loving father. And so St. Paul says, God who is rich in mercy, whom Jesus Christ has revealed to us as father, it is his very own son in himself has manifested him and made him known to us. So if you have seen Jesus, you have seen the father. Even today in the sacraments, whenever you experience the sacraments and you see Jesus, either in the person of the priest or the husband and wife coming together, you've seen an image of the Father's love. So he said, memorable in this regard was when Philip, one of the 12 apostles, turned to Christ Jesus and said, Lord, show us the Father and we shall be satisfied. And Jesus replied, have I been with you for so long, Philip, and yet you still do not understand? You don't know me? He who has seen me has seen the Father. And so everything that we see in Jesus is who the Father is. And I think we all have a very loving image of Jesus. I think that the image of the Good Shepherd is what comes first to a lot of our minds. This Good Shepherd that desires and loves nothing more to be with us. So then he, he references Redemptorist Homines, which is another encyclical, and he says, this is another truth about man. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and of all encouragement. 2 Corinthians 13. So God the Father is described, first of all, as God the Father of compassion and encouragement. So God wants to be compassionate with you, and he wants to encourage you. And I, I think about that. That's, that's a good father as well. A good father is always compassionate and always encouraging. So I want to go back to the, the word prodigal as I read another quote from the diary. And it's on the goodness of God. So Jesus says to Faustina, The mercy of God hidden in the blessed sacrament in the voice of, the, of our Lord who speaks from the throne of mercy, says this, Come to me, all of you. Be not afraid of your Savior, O sinful soul. I make the first move to come to you, for I know that you by yourself are unable to lift yourself to me. You're unable to do it. We're unable to do it. He makes the first move. He says, Child, do not run away from your father. Be willing to talk openly with your God, the God of mercy, who wants to speak words of pardon and lavish his graces upon you. Remember, prodigal means lavish. God wants to lavish his graces upon you. In the dictionary, prodigal means having or giving something on a lavish scale, spending money or resources freely or recklessly, wastefully extravagant. I want you to insert the word grace here as opposed to resources. Having or giving grace on a lavish scale. Spending money or resources. Grace lavishly and recklessly. Wastefully extravagant with grace. Can we see that it's not God the Father who is prodigal? Finally, I want to end with a quote that she says after receiving communion. After communion today, Jesus told me how much he desires to come to human hearts. He wants to come to our hearts. 
He wants to come to your heart. And so if you're not experiencing God, I know sometimes we get through Lent, you know, and we do our, our prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, and then we get to Easter, and we're all excited, and we get to Easter, and sometimes it just doesn't feel like Easter. We just can't get ourselves into that mode of the, re the resurrection. And so he says, I desire to unite myself to human souls. My great delight is to do this, my daughter, and that when I come to the human heart in Holy Communion, my hands are full of all kinds of graces which I want to give to the soul. But souls do not even pay attention to me. They leave me by myself, busy. They lose their attention for me. They busy themselves with other things. Oh, how sad I am to, that souls do not recognize love. They treat me as a dead object. That, that, that phrase just breaks my heart. That sometimes we treat God as a dead object. Like he's not really real. You know, I think um, um, the, the command that we shall not use the name of the Lord's God, the Lord, the name of the Lord God in vain, I think what that really means is we shouldn't speak to God as if he were dead to us. We shouldn't ask for something and not really think that he's hearing us. You know, sometimes we think that. I'm going to ask just in case, but I don't know if God's really. We should ask if he, as if he are alive and as if we can trust that he's prodigal, that he wants to give everything to us. Now, what I want to do for the end of this is lead you through a guided meditation, actually. And this is uh, what I do throughout the book, Pray 40 Days, is I... I lead people in this meditation where you experience God in a very real way. So I want you first to look at this image of divine mercy. So Faustina promises too, Jesus says that if this image is hung in a church on Divine Mercy Sunday, if anybody looks at this image with trust, they will be brought into divine, my divine mercy. And so right now, as you look into this image of divine mercy, God the Father is opening his heart to you and pouring his grace upon you. The red and the white, you know, are signs of his, his body and his blood, the body and the, the blood and the water gushing forth from the side of Jesus. And it'll be from that same side that he gushes forth his mercy upon you. And so if you get distracted at all during prayer, I'd like you to open your eyes and to look at this image again and just say, Jesus, I trust in you, and then close your eyes. What I want you to do is, is try to let the Lord come to you. So, see, St. Faustina was always frustrated because this image could not be painted uh, in accordance with how she saw God. So first, Jesus said to paint her, and she tried to paint, and she realized she couldn't do it. So her spiritual director got her a local artist. The local artist painted her. She went to the Blessed Sacrament and broke down crying. She said, Lord, they just can't make them look like you. Artists have tried over and over to, to represent the image of divine mercy, and none of them were able to do it as beautifully as Faustina saw it. And so when she told Jesus said this, Jesus said to her, It's enough. It's enough that this image is there and that the words are on the bottom. And they should be, are they on the bottom here? Yes. Jesus, I trust in you. So he said, that's enough. If we can just look at this image as inadequate as it is and say, Jesus, I trust in you, that's enough. But it's not as beautiful as Jesus really is. And Jesus can come to you right now on this Feast of Divine Mercy. And he can come to us most especially in this wonderful tradition of prayer that we have in our church called meditative 
in contemplative prayer. And that's what I'm going to lead you through right now is an experience of meditation and contemplation. It's going to be on the Gospel of Thomas that we heard, the Gospel of, uh, what was the Gospel today? John, but of Thomas that we heard today about the hands and 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 the side of Jesus. So keep that in mind as we pray with divine mercy. And again, I encourage you, if at any point you could just be still and close your eyes and just be and, and try to have this interior experience of Jesus, I invite you to do that. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the doors were locked for fear of the Jews, where the disciples were, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. He said this and he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord and Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them. Receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. I want you to think about a hardened heart right now. Is there anyone in your life that you haven't forgiven? This could be the moment right now where you receive the grace to forgive them. Trust. Trust that if you can forgive them, that you will only increase and grow closer to God. Thomas called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now a week later, the disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them and stood and Jesus came, although the doors were locked and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, it's almost like Faustina, you know, he's willing to to give his heart to us. He says to Thomas, and he knows, he knows Thomas what, what Thomas wants. He says to him, put your finger here and see my hands and bring your hand and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you come to believe because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in this book, but these are written that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through this belief you may have life in his name. So I invite you now just to ask for the grace to experience our Lord. Anything that you ask, he wants to give you. And I invite you, if you want to close your eyes or open them or look at the image, whatever you feel most comfortable doing, imagine that you're in the room and you're with the disciples. The doors are locked. Maybe there's a part of your heart that is locked. 
Maybe there's a part of you that just hasn't trusted him enough to totally take over your heart. You've kind of locked him out. Well, just as we hear Jesus revealed to Faustina about God the Father and his mercy, and we hear in the prodigal father, the father takes the first step. You don't have to do anything right now. Let him, let him take the first step into your heart. And the amazing thing is he can go through locked doors. He can get through parts of us even that we've shut down. And so what I'd like you just to say in your heart or even whisper it out loud, try to see Jesus and say, Jesus, I trust in you. Say it again, Jesus, I trust in you. And now I want you to try to see Jesus, see his face. Let him reveal himself to you. As we celebrate the resurrection, he is with us right now in the resurrected form. And he says to you, just like he did to Thomas, put your finger in my hands. So I want you to do that. Actually, just lift your hand out. Lift, lift your finger forward. Put your finger into my hands. Then he says, see my hands. See the wounds in my hands. I want you to try to see the hands of Jesus. And then he says, put your hand in my side. So not only your finger, but your whole hand right into his side where the spear was. Right into the side that gushes forth the, the blood and the water, the divine rays of, of red and blue and white. Just imagine putting your hand into his side. And Thomas says to him, my Lord and my God. I'm going to give you just a couple minutes of silence just to meditate and imagine that happening. And, and hopefully God at some point will take over and Jesus will come to you in a very real way. And I invite you just to do that. Put your, put your finger into his hands. Put your hand into his side. And do not be unbelieving, but believe. And if there's any area of your life that you have not been trusting God with enough, say it to him again, Jesus, I trust in you. I trust that some of you probably experienced some grace here. Some of you may even, even have been able to see his face, his hands, and his side. 
But even when we don't, Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and still believed. And so even if you didn't see anything, Jesus, I trust in you. I believe in you. I believe you're here over and over again.